0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is author David Bruins. He's written a new book, Reformation Riches for the Contemporary Church. David, it's an honor to have you on with us today.
1: Thank you, Dan. Great to be here.
0: I just ordered your book. I haven't read it yet. Um, I'm looking forward to reading it, David. And significantly, it's received several endorsements from across the Protestant denominations, including the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today. And uh, on Amazon, there's a little write-up about it, and it says this. It says, Whether it is described as recovering treasures of gold, removing the clouds to reveal the clearest and bluest of skies, replacing fast food with delectable and healthy cuisine— or coming out of the valley to behold the most amazing alpine splendor. Rediscovering the glorious biblical truths which were recovered during the Reformation is extraordinarily liberating and invigorating. And I just love that quote. So today I uh, thought maybe you could uh, help us understand what these riches are. The, uh, the Reformation will be celebrating in a couple days from now. It occurred 499 years ago, and yet its message was absolutely earth-shaking, and yet beautifully simple. Um, Yet, it seems, David, that many churches are either downplaying or shelving that message. Uh, Why is that?
1: Uh, It's so true, Dan. Uh, We look at the uh, churches of the Reformation today, and we say, these are the churches that once shook the world? (laughs) Really? (laughs) Really? Kind of, kind of hard to understand that one sometimes, right? Uh, so I think the problem that, with shelving the Reformation to a large degree is that we often don't really understand what that message was, and, and, and then we're willing to settle for a lot less. Uh, for forgetting for a moment the churches that have gone off the rails in, in one way or another, uh, take your best churches today preaching the Gospel. Um, it's so watered down since the time of the Reformation Basically, we're preaching and, and hearing about maybe one-third of the, of the benefits of the gospel good news. Mm-hmm. Well, what I mean is this. Uh, we might hear about the forgiveness of sins, Christ's passive obedience on the cross. But what's most often missing is the active obedience of Christ, his living a perfect life in our place, fulfilling all righteousness, and imputing that righteousness to sinners. Uh, this came to be known as the, uh, in the Reformation as the Great Exchange, uh, Christ clothing himself with our sins and he clothing us with uh, his righteousness. And the other part that's missing is that the gospel is not a one-time thing for our justification, but it's for our sanctification uh, as well. Uh, Presbyterian Pastor Ray Cortez he, he uh, uses a, a nice analogy. He says, American evangelical Christianity uh, views uh, salvation much like a, a person having a lot of credit card debt, and he goes to the bank to, to seek forgiveness of the debt, and the, the banker uh, forgives his debt and wipes his slate clean. And that, that's really good. That, that's great as far as it goes. Uh, the problem is is it leaves you with no capital. You still leave the bank without money. Uh, you still have to appease, appease the banker the rest of your life. In reformational Christianity, on the other hand, the banker not only forgives your debt and wipes your slate clean, but he also takes you aside and reveals that you've been made a co-owner of the bank, and now you have access to all these vast riches. Mm-hmm. And, and we could add to that, too, that uh, this person who's given all this doesn't become a lazy rich kid, but is, uh, he, he, he works in you to make you a flourishing, uh, productive person as well. So, As a result, you realize you have everything to give, you have nothing to get, you realize you're a child of the multi-trillionaire king of the universe, and uh, and that he also works in you to, to create new affections. So the Reformation provided a real clarity, I think, for the benefits of the gospel. We have a much richer gospel in all its fullness. Sometimes it's uh, Reformation uh, Gospels referred to as 200-proof Gospel. Uh, and, and that can change your life. That can, that can change the world. Mm. When you understand that, you'll, you'll never want to settle for, for
0: less. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, Paul wrote to Titus, the uh, quotation is, "...not by works of righteousness which we have done." but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. This gospel of Christ comes to us, it's been said, as an alien righteousness. I think it was Martin Luther that said that. It's it's outside of us coming to us. Can you comment on that a little bit?
1: Yeah, uh, today we, we have a very me-centered type of worship. Um, how we do church becomes all about our doing and our experience, so the gospel can become rife with, with the legalism and sort of a Gnostic mysticism, uh, which, which naturally well up in, in all of us. Uh, Martin Luther had identified three ladders of idolatry that, that naturally uh, arise within us, uh, where we try to climb up to God. Uh, he called it the ladder of good works, uh, the ladder of mystical experience, and the ladder of speculative knowledge. Uh, the Reformers had recovered a sense of worship, opposite to the medieval mass, uh, which was seen as the work of the people. And worship was seen as receiving his gifts. Um, Historically, uh, the service was referred to as the divine service, where Christ uh, comes to serve us. So while we're trying hard to climb up our little ladders to God, he's descending to us in the public assembly through through very common things, uh, words and water and bread and wine. Uh, and not having that understanding, I think, can really lead to a lot of burnout. Um, law and exhortations are good, but they, they can only guide you. They can't change you from the inside out. Only only the gospel can do that. So when Christianity becomes all about us, it, it can rob you of the joy and confidence that, that the gospel produces in us.
0: So, in other words, we're, we're always looking to Christ, always seeking to glorify him and um, just make exactly. him bigger and make us smaller, as as it were. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you've mentioned legalism, and is that, David, in your opinion, is that exchanged for some kind of a legalism light, as it were?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think we see that a lot. First of all, legalism can take really two forms. Uh, in trying to merit something from God by my performance, and also adding laws to his moral law, that, that, you know laws that we don't find in the Bible. So we, we had a heavy legalism in the past that was basically don't do X, Y, Z, or you'll go to hell, or, or don't do X, Y, Z, or you'll lose points with God, and so forth. And the lists would vary. You, you had uh, some emphasize alcohol consumption or card playing or dancing, movies, you know, all, kinds of, all kinds of lists. Today we have a much uh, lighter, smiley form of legalism, more in the form of do this and you will be happy and fulfilled. Uh, you can have your best life now if you follow these steps. So today the lists are more about you know steps to, to raising great children, five steps to a great marriage, uh, doing small groups or doing uh, mission or humanitarian trips, uh, having a worship experience and so forth. So it, it can turn into a, a to use the Beatles song, all you need is love, a type of a moralism, and and the problem is that none of us can, and, and we don't love as we ought. So, in either case, uh, when you when you start to get law without gospel, um, uh, the law can become very harsh. So I think what's happened from one generation to the next, uh, if you if you kind of liken it to Mount Sinai, which is is sort of the symbol for the law. Uh, the heavy legalism. People thought they could deal with Mount Sinai, and they were much closer to Mount Sinai with all its uh, smoke and thunder. And as a result, the next generation moved further away uh, and tried to keep Mount Sinai. I guess as you say, at a distance, it looks a lot safer from from far away, uh, and thought they they could deal with it that way. Uh, the problem is, is uh, you know, we need a mediator in dealing with uh, Mount Mount uh, Sinai. And, and Christ brings us to Mount Zion of uh, the gospel, where, where we can be honest about our condition—that that we um, we can't fulfill these laws ourselves. That we look to Christ. We don't boast as they did at uh, Mount Sinai and say, "All this we will do." Uh, we come to Mount Zion and we rest, and it is done. Uh, it is it is
0: finished. Oh, Amen. Yes, you know, uh, David, and I'm talking today with author David Bruins written a new book, Reformation Riches for the Contemporary Church. Christians and guilt. Let's talk about that just a little bit. Um, We really need to grow in grace, and and yet Christians sometimes uh, carry some guilt, or maybe a lot of guilt. Um, I believe in the book you mentioned that that applying the gospel is as easy as one, two, three. Can you, can you explain that a little bit to us?
1: Sure, and this goes to the distinction between the law and the gospel and how they relate to one another. Uh, the Bible uh, gives us laws, God's righteous requirements, and it also gives us the gospel, where God gives to us in the gospel everything that he demands and requires in the law. Uh, sometimes uh, in reform circles it's uh, referred to uh, as covenants of works and covenants of grace. So I talk about a one, two, three. The, the one is really the, what we call the first use of the law, where the law functions as a schoolmaster or a mirror uh, to show us uh, that we don't meet God's standards of holiness. And, uh, and, and that sends us running to the Savior, which is number two, which would be the gospel, an, on- an ongoing use of the gospel in a sense, where, where we run to the Savior, we're united to Him, and His perfect obedience imputed to me. Uh, that lifts our burden, and that frees us for number three, where we can go back to the law without its, uh, without its harsh judgment and just as a guide to, to direct me. And, and this is not a one-time thing. It's it's a way of life. So, so the gospel becomes relevant not only for the unbeliever, but for the life of the Christian as well. Uh, the problem we have today is many times we go back to the Old Testament and we try to apply the covenant of works or the, these laws with all its curses Uh, to the Christian today. And the problem is we think that somehow we can pull it off, and that ultimately will lead to one one or the other, either despair or or sort of a self-righteous Pharisee. What we need to do is we need to see that the failure of Adam, the failure of the Israelites throughout Scripture, the failure of ourselves that Christ came to fulfill, that he exhibited the obedience uh, that the Father was always looking for, uh, then we see the verses where Christ, um, in, in Hebrews, we see that Christ is the fulfillment uh, where, where God in the Old Testament had said he, he desires um, mercy or desires obedience much more than sacrifice. And that's one way we can see that the Bible is all about Christ and Christ fulfilling the law, uh, the way he taught us to read the scriptures. And, that, and that's such a comfort because we're, we're uh, united to, to his perfect obedience, and that's just a, a wonderful thing that relieves our consciences and frees us uh
0: for good works. Mm, Yes, what about the Gospel and maybe people starting to think, "Oh, this is kind of boring. this is real simple stuff, um, but isn't there always a, a newness to it
1: there is. I, I think the problem is is uh, we look at the gospel sometimes as just a subjective story of, of how I got saved. Uh, the gospel's an actual uh, in actuality is an objective and powerful. Uh, news it's good news of what Christ did uh, and um, sure there are subjective effects to that but it's, but that's not the gospel the gospel is is the, the work of Christ uh, on our behalf and again when we realize it's for both the unbeliever and the believer uh, that that's an amazing thing and then that, that will never bore you uh, the gospel is something outside of me it's, it's the power of God unto salvation both for my justification and my sanctification uh, this is what he uses to work in our hearts, to create that initial miracle in our heart and an ongoing work in our hearts. So we have to understand the nature of what the gospel is and what it does, and that it's just not a one-time thing for an unbeliever, but it's a continual fountain for the believer and, uh, and their sanctification as well. Uh, one person I quote in the book, puts it this way, says, the gospel not only ignites the Christian life, uh, but fuels it throughout as as well. And I think that's a, that's a great uh, picture of uh, of what the gospel uh, does does for
0: us. Yeah, amen. There's a difference in my mind uh, between um, the preaching by the minister versus like uh, a seminar, like a self help seminar you might go to or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there seems to be maybe a temptation <laughs> for churches to to go the seminar approach and and kind of neglect the preaching of God's Word and maybe get the preaching into a mode where there, it's always therapy to deal with things like our mistakes or lack of fulfillment. Um, but what would Reformation preaching look like?
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's definitely a little different, and it's not just preaching. I think it's really the whole service. Um, yeah, if you have cancer, uh, you're going to need a lot more than a massage therapist, um, and as, as Scripture indicates also, it's like, like trying to, uh, when we try to dress a serious wound with, with a band-aid. With a <laughs> when, we, when we come to church on, on Sunday, we want to come to God's sanctuary, uh, not, not just an auditorium. Uh, the historical liturgical elements of a worship service are all designed uh, to bring us God's wonderful and gracious gifts. This, this gets back to, I mentioned earlier, the, the divine service, we have the call to worship, the greeting of God, the um, declaration of forgiveness following our, our confession and so forth. It's all designed to, for, for God to bring us His good and gracious gifts. And when we, when we realize that and, and see all the analogies from Scripture that, that derive from that, by either directly in Scripture or by implication, uh, it's, it's a really exciting thing. I mean, you, you can view the service as a, as a great meal, like a Thanksgiving dinner, it's like like getting a nice bath and a fresh change of clothes uh, it's like like a Christmas tree with a whole bunch of gifts there with your name on it um, it's like it's like going to a hospital where they finally found the cure that's actually going to work for you mm. um, it, It's like a rest for your soul like a like a nice vacation i I mean the list goes on and on and I, I Talk about some of these in the book. It's like going to a lawyer's office uh, where the inheritance is read, and you you hear more about your inheritance every week, mm-hmm. or a or a criminal court where where you're taken off death row, or or a civil court where where you're adopted as as his child, um, a nursery uh, where he takes he takes bruised reeds and and he nourishes them to become uh, fruitful again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just amazing. There's just no end to all these analogies that you, you can come up with. Uh, you know, like I say, either directly or, or by implication from, from Scripture. Now, contrast this with the substitutes that we manufacture. Uh, we make the church service into what? Uh, a part rock concert, part social service agency meeting, maybe, maybe part uh, therapeutic meditation. Now, notice all these things are about us. None of those things are about God giving right. to us His good gifts. Now, these things can be fine. Uh, there's nothing wrong with these things necessarily during the week. You, you could uh, go to an, a concert on a Friday night. Uh, you could volunteer uh, with World Vision and, and, and raise money for uh, wells in Africa on a Saturday. But, but Sunday morning, Christ has instituted a gathering, first and foremost, I think, where the weary and heavy laden can be refreshed for another week. And when you grasp that, you're not going to want to settle for, for these
0: other substitutes. Yeah, yeah. The uh, title of your book is Reformation Riches for the Contemporary Church, and the other part of the title I didn't even mention, and that is uh, liberation for both skeptics and burned-out evangelicals. Um, if there's a human manipulative aspect to some of the church worship today, um There can also be a a quiet passivism, maybe even, though hopefully not, dead orthodoxy, which says, uh, we're doing it right, and that's all we need to concern ourselves with. Uh, That's not reformational either, is it? Uh,
1: No, no, not at all. Um, You know, if you use a word like narthex without periodically explaining what it is, I think that's a problem. Uh, if you don't put your service times on the internet today, uh, that, that's a problem. <laughs> you know, many traditional pastors yeah. today are viewed as hopelessly out of date and out of touch, uh, especially if you're doing the historic liturgy. So I, I think they need to explain, explain, explain. Um, I even think at the beginning of the service, before the service even starts, I think I think a, an explanation is is really helpful to say, look at reformational worship is a lot different than what you're going to find in a lot of pop evangelical worship. And uh, I give you some examples, and you, you'd say, look at here, we, you know, we don't have a stage here. Um, uh, we have a pulpit, a table, and a font, and, and here's why. Because you know, God gives His gracious gifts to us, and, and functions, these these things function to, toward that end. Um, Many times the issue, unfortunately, is, re- is viewed as guitars versus organ. The real problem a lot of times is the guitars versus the pulpit, table, and font. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so and they maybe you have guitars off to the side. They explain that. Say, why are they off to the side? And, and our song leaders don't have microphones. Why? Well, this is an American idol. You know, they, they serve an accompanying <laughs> function. <laughs> it's not a, not a performance function. No, right. Um, You you could explain, we don't have a big screen, we have a hymnal. Why? Well, we want to vet our songs and make sure they're they're biblical and and Um, God-glorifying. A lot of things like that. And then when church gets boring, you know, if if people are bored, uh, you know, with the Apostles' Creed, for instance, the temptation is to immediately replace it with something else. Mm -hmm. But what we need to do is we need to bring people back to what it's all about in the first place, the greatest story ever told um, the the creed is all about our triune God. It's about Christ, the the resurrection of the dead, the life everlasting. I mean, there's much more interesting stuff there than if we make it about me. (laughs) Um, So I think we need to go back and and just see what it is. Uh, I mean, certainly the Bible's not that orthodoxy. It's just, you know, uh, you hear hear the orthodoxy and what does it lead to? Oh, the, the riches and the wonder. Um and and so again it's it's not a one-time thing it's a, something that we need to see as an ever-flowing fountain for my nourishment as a Christian so we need to be sure we connect and communicate that with the next generation and then I think we will see a, a thriving and a fruitfulness
0: yeah amen to that I was looking back at uh, the description on Amazon of your book uh, Reformation Riches for the Contemporary Church uh, another Point that's made here is uh, many evangelicals find themselves trapped on performance-based treadmills and enslaved by neurotic introspection. I thought that was pretty good, and and often just burning out, walking away from the church. And I, I hate to see something like that happen. Um, the next question I have pertains to our own lives and and a calling that we we each have. Now, the Reformers had this well-developed view of calling, um, but it wasn't only for the minister, but also for the people of God. Can you explain that a little bit?
1: That That's true. Uh, we, we see that with both Luther and Calvin. We have a very uh, strong teaching on vocation, uh, that we are, we're all fully validated in, in our service. Uh, we don't need to be a priest or, or a monk uh, to count. <laughs> it's about loving and, and serving yeah. our neighbor uh, Luther had a famous remark: and, and, "And how to serve God if you're a shoemaker? Well, what do you do? You make a good shoe and you, and you sell it at a fair price, and uh, and to be sure, you 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 also give a reason for the hope that's in you as you go through through life's activities. Um, but th- this arises from a couple of things. I don't know if time permits to, to get into how much detail here, but you, you have sort of an, a medieval Gnostic uh, idea of grace versus nature instead of grace versus sin." And on the Anabaptist side, you had sort of a separation, and so you you end up trying to fit everything, in, and sometimes into two categories: the holy and, and the profane. And what what that fails to recognize is there's a whole third category of reality, uh, God's good and common things provided in his in his providence. Um, so you so you have. Uh, all kinds of of vocations and things that we can enjoy, and and good things come out of that. If you're a scientist, things like Novocaine, uh, anesthesia, uh, jet liners, we produce things that are good and common for for all of us.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, In the last minute remaining, um, if we were to read your book and say, uh, you know what, this guy is really hitting on something here, and it's just simply some old truth, Could you help us um, in the next minute or so explain maybe certain adjustments that could be made uh, in our churches? Nothing radical, but to get us closer to the Reformation riches that we seem to have forgotten.
1: Yeah, I think there's probably a few things, a few adjustments that that could be made, and we we talked about before explaining a lot. uh, Explaining, I think, goes a long way, Um, and and getting back to the. excitement that we find in Scripture itself. Uh, there's certainly uh, no dead orthodoxy there. Um, no. We had, at the time of the Reformation, some some uni- pro- approximate unity, not a total unity, but there were some giant and distinct icebergs. I, I call them in the book, uh, mm-hmm. the Anglican, Episcopalian, the Reformed Presbyterian, the Lutheran, the Baptist. you know, maybe five, let's say five giant icebergs. Today, we have a whole bunch of ice cubes, uh, all <laughs> independent churches with their own unique statement of faith. So I think we need to start coalescing and coming together a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the Reformation, the overlap, I call it the 80%, where all of these denominations, um, where we agree on so many things oh, yeah. the soul is the Reformation, the divine service, the law and God, I mean, just so many things that we could unite around these areas. And I think that's, uh, that, that, that's important. And we could lighten up, I think, a little bit in some of our practices. I think sometimes the heavy, long sermons and requiring uh, two services, there are sure. certain practices that sometimes we can check people out of Christianity by making uh, yeah. making it hard and, and not, not making it uh, uh, easier. And, and that's a shame, because then they're faced with only two alternatives, and uh, you know, many will send their neighbors to the, the pop evangelical church or their... Their children because of some of the practices
0: that, that we've yeah. uh, imposed upon people. Yeah, I, um, I have another interest, besides the fact that I don't think sermons need to be that long. Um, they never get on the air if they're long either. People don't realize <laughs> that. <laughs> hey, today we've been talking with author David Bruins. The book is Reformation Riches for the Contemporary Church, Liberation for Both Skeptics and Burned-Out Evangelicals. David, if someone would like to get a copy of your book, where could they go to get one?
1: Uh, Well, we have a website, uh, reformationriches.com, and uh, yeah, they could purchase it uh, really anywhere, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Nobles, from the publisher, really wherever books are sold, it's it's available.
0: Oh, it's beautiful, and uh, I myself, like I said, I just got the copy of it. I really look forward to to reading it, and uh, David, thank you so much for joining our listeners today.
1: Thank you, Dan.
0: And dear listener, join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Let your kingdom. Your will be done Right here On the earth like it is in heaven Thy cross is lifted O'er us We journey in its light We follow as you guide.